Now today, in our message, we're going to talk about something that I'm sure all of you have heard about. As our conversations have gravitated toward this, you know, after our messages, we do a Facebook Live conversation. And in the past two to three weeks, every uh, Facebook Live conversation has gravitated toward uh, this topic. And it's this topic of racial reconciliation. And a lot of us have questions about that, don't we? And so how do we as a church respond to this current and important issue of racial reconciliation. I'm going to tell you, today, this message is a little bit hard for me. Right? As, a, as a people person, I deeply value what you think. I deeply value your feedback and input. Um, and I know when we talk about racial reconciliation and we talk about all the things that's going on right now, it's easy for any of us to, to be divided on this issue. Right? It's easy for us to think more about politics than about Scripture. And here's what I ask all of us to do today. This isn't me talking to you. This is, this is us. Here's what I ask all of us to do today. Is, is let's agree to follow Jesus. Right? Let's agree to do what he's asking, not just the church globally to do. Let's agree to do what he's asking Fellowship Asheville to do. Let's agree to do what Jesus is asking you to do in the midst of this. Because if so, then the answer is going to be the right answer. And so today, we're going to see what the Bible shows us on this topic. And I believe when that happens, we can have a direction of how to move forward in this. Now, I also want to tell you something I did in last week's message that y'all have never done before. And it's this. I had planned to teach all the way through chapter 14 in, in the book of Revelation. I did all the study in my outline. I had outlined it all the way to the end of chapter 14. But somehow between, between moving that information from my outline to my sermon, to my manuscript of my sermon, I just stopped. I just stopped at verse 12. And last week when I was, when I was preaching and I noticed my sermon ended on verse 12, I thought, I've got eight more verses. Where are they? They just weren't there. I just stopped. And so, so, so guess what that means? That means this week we're going to pick up uh, where I left off mistakenly. And so, so just know uh, that this message is going to start where I left off last week. And I'm going to pick up with what we talked about last week and then move in uh, to what we need to hear today. And so, so we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4, verse 13, and go through 15, uh, verse 4. Now, last week we saw what to do when we don't know. And, and, and there's a lot that we don't know right now, isn't there? And we talked about this word, endure. And if you notice, I capitalized the E-N-D and endure. Uh, because here's why. When, when we don't know how to respond when we don't know, we saw that when we see the end, it helps us endure. Right? And, and Revelation shows us the end. Revelation shows us what happens. It shows us that evil is eventually done away with. But there's more for us to see today. And I think it'll help us even in today's culture, even in today's uh, tension of racial reconciliation. So let's just jump into chapter 14, verse 13. And it says this, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And so, so now, if, 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 if you remember, just to remind you, last week we saw two groups of people. 
right? We saw, we saw one group who stayed faithful to worshiping Jesus, even in the worst of environments. If you remember last week, there was this, this evil empire, right? And, and this evil religion. And, and to buy and sell goods, you had to worship uh, this leader as God. You couldn't worship Jesus. And so, so, so it was this time of tribulation. And so we saw people that stayed faithful to worshiping Jesus during that time. And then we saw people who didn't, that they worshiped the beast. Now here we see John being told about the people that stayed faithful to Jesus. And, and what we're seeing is that they can finally rest. You see, here's what we need to understand. During this time when the, the beast reigns, if you remember, like you couldn't buy or sell goods. You couldn't, you couldn't participate in the economy like you would before. And, 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 and so staying faithful to Jesus during this time would have been exhausting, right? I feel tired now. I can't imagine what it would feel like then to, to live in that environment. And, and, and so then, particularly, the faithful will be tired. And so y'all, here's something to consider about our faith, even in today's times, and it's this. A comfortable faith isn't a tired faith. Now, let me, let me explain that just a bit. Because during this time that we see here in Revelation, if you want to be comfortable, here's what you would do. You would worship the beast, right? You would worship the person who's leading this evil empire and this evil religion. You would worship them. Then you could buy and sell and you could participate in the economy and, and life would be comfortable for you. But for the faithful to Jesus, this isn't our story, is it? You see, we don't get the luxury of being comfortable in the face of evil. We exercise our faith. Because see, when you exercise, you get tired, right? At least when I exercise, I get tired. I know some of you are like machines. And for some reason, you exercise and you don't get tired. But, but, but I do. And, and, and just like exercise forces you to be uncomfortable, so does faith. Y'all, and I love being comfortable, right? I love being in comfortable clothes. Y'all, for, for 13, 14 weeks now, I have been preaching in shorts and running shoes. Why? Because it's comfortable. I love being comfortable. I love comfy, comfy clothes. And if given a choice between being comfortable or uncomfortable, I will choose comfortable, at least when it comes to clothes. However, when it comes to faith, when it comes to faithfully following Jesus, here's where I'm growing. I'm growing in being more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because anytime your faith puts you in the face of evil, it's uncomfortable. And as the culture changes around us, church, our faith moves us to being more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Let's look at verse 14. It says this, it says, And then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put your sickle, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of earth is fully ripe. And so he sat on the cloud and swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. 
Now, this is continuing that picture of judgment that we saw last week of evil being judged. And some people think this is the people who, who, were stayed, who stayed faithful to Jesus, that they're being taken up into heaven. We don't know. It could be a continuation of, of the judgment. It could be that. We don't know. But here's what we do know. Let's, let's keep reading. Verse 17 says this, And then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the altar, and the angel who had the authority over the fire And he called with a loud voice to the one who had a sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. And so the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stata. So, so here's, what, here's what we do know. This number jumps out, right? It's, it's 1,600, 1,600. What that number is uh, for you mathematicians out there, or even for those who aren't mathematicians, I bet you could figure this out. That number is the number 40 times 40. Now, 40 is this biblical number that represents completion and wholeness. And and so what John is seeing here and what John is letting us know is is that this picture of evil being judged isn't just complete. It is complete times complete. It is completely complete that evil will be judged and done away with and that God will be the one who does that judging. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this, that as John is looking into heaven and seeing the future, he sees a future where evil is completely done away with. Now, our faith puts us in the face of evil many, many times. And there will be many faces of evil that we must face. That's the deal with Revelation. If you remember me talking about it in previous weeks, there's this spiral almost, right? And, and, and so there's multiple little fulfillments of this. And one day there will be a great fulfillment of this. But we'll face evils of many kinds, many times in our life. And our faith will put us there. And here's the bummer of that. And it's really kind of, it's the reality of it. That, that until God completely erases evil, Jesus' followers will continually face evil. And so, so, so here's what this means. Let me, let me take a minute real quick, though, and tell you what I mean by Jesus' follower, because I talk about faith, and I use this term Jesus' follower quite a bit. And so, so let me tell you what that means to me. Here, here at Fellowship, we believe in the good news of Jesus. We believe in the gospel. That's what the word gospel means, is that it means good news. And Jesus' good news is very simple. It is that his death and resurrection fixed something that sin broke. And sin are those things that we do that God doesn't want us to do. or It's also those things that we don't do that God does want us to do. And Jesus fixes what sin broke. Now, your sin and my sin and all the sins of others, all the way back to Adam and Eve, broke something in our relationship with God. They put this separation between us. Now, now when I say that, it's not that God was distant and that God didn't care. God still loved humanity and was with humanity and, 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 and visited humanity and moved and connected with humanity. But that relationship was veiled, right? And when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in the temple, which symbolically showed that that veil was torn for all of us. 
See, this is what Jesus fixes. When you say yes to Jesus, yes to his offer of salvation, yes to receiving the truth of his death and resurrection, providing a personal relationship between you and the God of the universe, you get the spirit of God living inside of you. So when I talk about facing evil, when I talk about being your faith that that puts you in the face of evil and being a Jesus follower in the face of evil. When I talk about getting comfortable being uncomfortable, what I'm talking about is the Spirit of God in you moving in us to change our lives to be more in line with what God's Word teaches us. That's what I mean as a Jesus follower, being in the face of evil and your faith putting you in the face of evil. It means means that God is changing you so that you can change the world around you to be more in line with what He says in this book. And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus, I ask you to do that today. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, become one today by simply telling God this. And it is a very simple prayer. It is that you no longer want to follow your own ways, right? You no longer want to try and make God happy with you. You no longer want to have your, 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 your things that you do in this heavenly scale of right and wrong. And is it enough or is it not enough? You no longer want to follow your own ways. You want to follow Jesus. You want to follow his. That's what a Jesus follower is. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, maybe right now is the time for you to do that. Let's look at chapter 15. Verse 1 says this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Now what John is doing here, John's the guy who wrote this book and, 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 and saw these visions and put pen to paper for us. And he's saying this is the last set of the judgment visions that he has. These aren't necessarily in chronological order. You know, he's had multiple visions of judgment. Some people see them as being, being lapped and, and over each other. Uh, but this is just the last ones that he's writing about. And so let's look at verse 2. It says this, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who had conquered the beast and its images, uh, in its image, and the number of its name, uh, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And so now John's attention is back on that group of Jesus followers, right? Those who stayed faithful to Jesus in the face of evil and, and, and they're by this sea of glass. Now, if you've been with us uh, since we started Revelation, you've seen the sea of glass before. And we've talked about how that sea of glass, when you see a sea around a temple, it usually is this image of separation. But this is, is solid. And so, so, so access to God is fully available. But this time, it's not just a sea of glass. It has fire with it. And I think that fire is important and it'll be important next week as we talk about the rest of this vision, because it gives this allusion uh, to Exodus, where, where the nation of Israel was led by God by a pillar of fire, right? And so, so what I want you to do is hold this picture of Exodus until next week, and, and we'll see more of it there. But what I want us to see is I want us to see the response of heaven to this judgment, the response of heaven uh, to these faithful followers of Jesus, how they respond to all of this. Because remember, Revelation shows us how to respond when the future happens. It's not intended to, to, to let us be able to pick who the beast is going to be and, and what this evil empire is. We'll, trust me, we'll know it when it happens, right? But the question is, how do we respond when it happens? That's what Revelation shows us. 
And these faithful followers of Jesus show us something about heaven. And what we see about heaven can be true here on earth. It's something that we need to see. So look at, look at verse 3. It says this. It says, And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying this. Now, I want to stop here because this is interesting. Because when you see Moses and you see the Lamb, you see Old Testament and New Testament, right? You see Moses of the Old Testament and you see the Lamb, which represents Jesus of the New Testament. So this song that they're about to sing is a song of the entire Bible. It is the truth of God, Old Testament to New Testament. It is something for us to pay attention to. And so what do they sing? They sing this. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And so what they do is they start off this song with adoration. They, they, they sing a song to a powerful God that he is great and amazing. That's what the word almighty means. And, 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 and I use the word adoration, all right? Let me, let, me, let me tell you what that means because that can be kind of a churchy word. And, and here's what adoration means. Adoration in a prayer or adoration in a song or adoration and like even in the books of Psalms means that you're simply telling God who he is. Right? That, that's all it means. it means. It means like it's like writing a love note. Any of you ever written a love note before? If you're smart and wise, in that love note, you talked about how great the person you love is. You don't talk about how great you are. Right? That wouldn't be a love note. I don't know what kind of note that would be, but it would not be a love note. My wife would not appreciate getting a note from me talking about how great I am. She would appreciate getting a note from me about how great she is. That's a love note. That's what adoration is. Adoration is like a love note to God where you are proclaiming how great he is. Now, depending on what Bible translation you have, the second part of that verse uses the word nations or it uses the word saints or it uses the word ages. What's interesting is that in that part where it says, just and true are your ways, O king of the nations, that word nations uh, in the original language, it means holy. And so just and true are your ways, O king of all that is holy, is another way to say this, which is nations and ages and saints. You know, like, like what this adoration is saying is that, God, you are holy. Not only are you powerful, but what you do and who you are is holy. And so it's saying, God, this adoration is God. God is powerful and his ways, his works, what he does, they are holy. And his ways are described in justice and truth. Just and true because that's what holiness does. And God is holy. And because he's holy, he moves the world towards what is holy. Now, I think this is important to see in the midst of this judgment, right? We just saw judgment and evil done away with, and now we're going to get uh, to next week, we're going to get this other version of what that, what that looks like. And so in other words, what, what these fo Jesus followers in heaven are saying is that eventually God will do away with evil because he is holy and his works are holy and all that will be left is what is holy. Right? That God's justice is based in God's holiness. And he is designed to move the world toward that holiness. Because eventually, all evil will be done away with. Now that sounds really good, doesn't it? And, and by holy, what I mean is think of everything that's good, that's what holy is. Right? Now, that sounds really good, doesn't it? And I think we can all agree that that sounds really good. But this song moves from this adoration to a question. Look at the question. 
In verse four, it says, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Now, here's what's interesting to me about this question. Who's this question intended for, right? John is, is getting this sneak peek into heaven. And, and so these faithful followers of Jesus are in the presence of God and they ask this question, right? Who will glorify this God? So, so who is this question intended to? Because the faithful followers of Jesus, they've already answered that question. They stood in the face of evil and said, we will glorify Jesus. We will glorify God. And so this question isn't for them. This question isn't for those in that heavenly throne room, right? That question is for those reading these words. Those questions are for those getting this glimpse into heaven. Like, like this would be like, this would be like if, if you were at Disney World, right? You've already paid for the hotel. You've already paid for the trip down there. You've already paid for the ticket to get in. And you are standing there waiting for the gates to be open. And they put on this big show and there's fireworks and all this stuff. And then it's like if they interrupted the show and said, okay, who wants to pay to get in here today? You'd be looking around going like, uh, we already did pay to get in here, right? But what you don't know is that there is this YouTuber in the back filming it for his whole thousands and thousands of followers who have never been to Disney World, right? And that question isn't for those who are already in the room, right? That question is for those who are watching from their TV at home because that question is for them to say, yeah, I wanna be there because that looks awesome. In the same way, this question is for you. This question is for me. And y'all, this question is who will join in the adoration of this God? This God that is all powerful and this God that is holy and this God who moves the world to holiness. The question is, will you adore him? Because to adore him, you have to believe it. And so the question is, do you believe that this God is all powerful? Do you believe that this God is holy? Do you believe that this God is moving this world towards what is holy? And one day this God will do away with everything that isn't. You see, this question is, back to when I was talking about a Jesus follower, will you say yes to Jesus is one level of that question. And then for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, for those of us who are Jesus followers, this question is still for us too. This question was for John. Will he join in this adoration? Will he tell of, of who God is? Will John see this God as all powerful and holy and moving the world towards holy? Will Fred see this God as all powerful and holy and moving the world towards what is holy? Will this, will I, will you let this God do what he needs to do to accomplish what he needs to accomplish? Well, here's what we need to see today. Look who answers this question in verse four. It's the question is, who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name? And here's who responds. For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. And so who will answer this question? You know, as John is looking into heaven and seeing our future ahead of us, John shows us that all of heaven responds to this question. And the makeup of heaven is all the nations will respond to this question. 
All the nations will see this God as powerful and holy and moving the world towards what is holy. All nations. John has said before in this book that every tribe and race and tongue will be there. That's what this means. Does this mean that everyone in all those nations will be there? No, but what it means is when you look across the landscape of heaven, it is like a, a, a multicolored mosaic. It is not a one tile, right, picture. It is multiple, multiple colors. And so y'all, what John is showing us here, what God showed John is a picture of God's heaven. That all the nations are there. All the colors are there. And and y'all, unfortunately, that picture isn't a picture of the church. There are churches all across the world where you can look and you can see one color. That picture of heaven, unfortunately, is not a picture of this church, right? If you've attended here in person, you can vouch for that for me. Now, y'all, and I do want to publicly say that I'm sorry for not leading us better in this. It's time that this changed, though. And it's time that that, that this changed because what Jesus did when he was teaching his disciples is he connected heaven and earth together, right? He said what's true in one can be true in the other. And he told his disciples, listen, guys, what you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven, right? That's what Jesus told his disciples over 2,000 years ago. What John shows us is what that looks like fast-forwarded. Right, John shows us what happens at the end of the story. And what happens at the end of the story is that the gospel wasn't just for the Jewish nation anymore. Heaven isn't just full of of those who worshiped uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What those disciples did is they took the gospel to the corners of the earth. They took the gospel to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And y'all, we're still doing that. But what John shows us is he shows us what happens at the end. And what happens at the end is that what was loosed on earth is what we see here on heaven, that the gospel is for all, that the church is for all. And so what this is showing us is what is true in heaven can be true here on earth. And y'all, it's time for Fellowship Asheville to be a part of that. It's time for Fellowship Asheville to become a better resemblance of heaven and to to move this idea into action. But let me warn you of something that I was recently reminded of uh, by an author named Henry Blackaby. He wrote this book called Experiencing God. And, it's, and this whole book is like, how do you experience God, right? How do you, how do you experience all that God has for you? And, and basically he said, you see where God is working and you join him. But he gives this warning about joining in what God is doing. And this warning is this, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. So in other words, us becoming a church that represents heaven better and represents the Oakley community that we're in better, here's what that means. It means it's going to get uncomfortable for us. Right? It means we're going to have to change. And not change just because uh, the world is changing. Changing because we've got this picture of heaven right here in this Bible that shows us we got to do things different to be able to 
be a better representation of that picture. And so what does this action look like? Well, for me, it moves to become even more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And see, here's, here's what a comfortable faith looks like. At least for me, a comfortable faith looks like this. It looks like sympathy, right? And here's what sympathy is. Sympathy is being sorry for something. It means, it means, it means looking at the face of injustice, particularly right now, the injustice that our black brothers and sisters face every day, the, the injustice that they had faced for decades and years that, that really we have a very different experience in our life and in this country. And what sympathy says is, I'm sorry you've had to go through this. What sympathy says is, I'm sad that you've had to go through this. But here's the problem with sympathy. Sympathy keeps your faith comfortable, right? Because you can feel sad and you can feel sorry and you don't have to change a thing. See, sympathy doesn't require change. With sympathy, there's no crisis of belief. And with no crisis of belief, there's no action. Now, I've been feeling sad for years now. And nothing's changed in me and nothing's changed in this church. And so sympathy isn't our answer. Sympathy isn't our answer to let God's picture of heaven more resemble this church. Sympathy isn't our answer to, to, to let what God's doing in this community of Oakley be represented in this church. But there is a better way, and it's not sympathy, it's empathy. And empathy means that you feel what someone else feels. You feel what they feel. We feel what they feel. When, you're, when they're happy, you're happy. That's what empathy feels. Empathy feels happiness with you, right? When you are sad, empathy feels the sadness with you. Now, this isn't me just being a counselor throwing out words, right? This is the biblical mandate. Paul said this in Romans. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. See, as Jesus' followers we aren't to just sympathize. And y'all, we've been sympathizing for too long. But we're commanded to empathize. Y'all, we're commanded to enter the world, just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't look from heaven and empathize and sympathize with us in our sin. He didn't say, gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry y'all, y'all, y'all can't experience the fullness of God. Jesus came to earth with us. He empathized with us. And so we can empathize with others. He entered our world. Right now, I believe God is doing something that the church needs to, to pay attention to and empathize with. And I believe God is bringing justice and holiness, at least to my attention and maybe to yours, and I trust to this church's attention through the racial injustices that we see around today. Now think what you will about all that you see on the news with George, with George Floyd and, and all the things that you see on the news. But I believe our culture is at a tipping point. And I believe God is doing something to get the church's attention as a part of that tippy, tipping point. I think God is moving this church and the church to respond. And as a church, for us to empathize, for Fellowship Asheville to empathize, we need to feel what is being felt. We need to enter the pain and joy of this moment. Now, we are all in different places on that, and I get that, I understand it, and I respect it. But here's what we must agree on. 
based on this picture of this colorful heaven where God removes all evil and moves towards holiness and moves this world toward holiness. Here's what we must agree on based on this command uh, to, to, to show empathy. And it is this, that unity and justice are not a political agenda, right? Now they will be politicized and we can't help that. But what we must agree on is that unity and justice, they are a biblical mandate. And if this is true, then we must also realize that what we've been doing and what I've been doing has not worked. And so we need to do something new to bring about this holy, heavenly picture into reality within these walls. Y'all, I I know this is long, but I've just got to share this with you. We have been helping families in this community uh, during this time by providing food and, and, and helping in any way that we can. And I was talking to, to someone who's been taking that food to them, and they said, you know, our church has shown them a lot of love. I'm not sure that, that they would feel comfortable in our church. Y'all, that breaks my heart, and we are changing that. Today, starting today, that changes. And I don't know what that means is gonna, that has to change. I have, a, I have our next step, but I want you to know in two years from now, this, I, I pray and hope that this church looks different because we are different, because we are a better picture of this heaven and we are a better picture of this community because of what God is doing in it. And so here's what I'm proposing for us as a church to where anybody in this community would feel comfortable worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and worshiping Jesus here. I am proposing that I would like us as a church to enter a season of listening so we can empathize with, with the pain and with the disunity that's around us and seek to become a better representation of our community and a better representation of heaven. And so how can we do this? I don't have a three-year plan, but like I said, I do have a next step for us. And that next step starts now, and hopefully more of you will join this later. But there's this gospel-centered, biblically-based ministry called Be the Bridge. And it's dedicated to helping churches do exactly what I'm, I, I believe Jesus is asking us to do with, with Fellowship Asheville. And it's to become a better representation of our community and a better representation of heaven. And if you want, uh, you can check them out for yourself at bethebridge.com. And they have helped me navigate this first step toward empathy for us. And it's simply starting a group. And so I plan on starting a group this summer in July. And I would love for as many of you as possible to be in this group, right? And I don't know how we'll do that, but we will figure it out. If, if God is telling you this is your next step, we will figure out how to accommodate that. But I have some qualifications for you before joining this group if you want to be in. And here they are. And what I want you to do is just listen to them and pray and see if Jesus has this to be your next step. And like I said, I'll send an email. Well, I didn't say this, but I'll send an email out with these qualifications and how to sign up later this week. But what I did say is you're going to get a lot of emails this week, so pay attention to all of them. Until then, pray and see if God wants you to be a part of this now or later. And, and y'all, there will be a virtual component to this, so don't be restricted by being here in Asheville. If you're joining us from wherever you are joining us from, uh, you can be a part of this. There will be a virtual component to this. But here's what's going to be required. To be in the Bridge Builder group, you will commit. I will commit to this. One, being present at every group meeting. 
You see, this group isn't a group of convenience. This group is a group of conviction, right? And so we want to hear from God and we want to do something. This group will be eight to 10 weeks long. What that means is that means if you have a vacation planned, either you move the vacation or you agree to join us virtually from wherever you are on vacation. Because like I said, it will have a virtual component. Here's the next step. Number two, you do all the homework before each group meeting, right? There will be some reading and some reflecting for you to do in this group, for this group to be successful. This group will make you uncomfortable. You will see things differently, and you must do the work. Number three, listen to the hard truths that we all must face. Listen to the hard truths that you must face. Now, you will not join this group to teach or convince others. You will come to learn, listen, be uncomfortable, and grow. And number four, and I think this is crucial, is that you will agree to pray consistently. Right? We will enter a season of prayer together for our church, daily praying to experience a deeper empathy leading to changed behavior. And so does this seem hard? Yes, it does. Will we be a better church because of it? Y'all, I truly believe Jesus is showing me that we will. I wouldn't do it if, we, if I didn't. So here's the question for you. Will you join me in growing in our empathy? Will you join me in living out this biblical mandate to, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep? Let me pray for us. Jesus, Who? Empathy, Jesus, entering into the pain and joy of others is very hard work. At least for me, because my mind races fast and, and I try to process fast and, 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 and to enter in means that I have to slow down. To, to have empathy means that, that I can't just spout words out, but I have to be quiet and listen. And God, I pray that you would make Fellowship Asheville a church of greater empathy and that you would use this group of bridge builders to change our church and to change this community by the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. In Christ's name I pray, amen.